presence of he and his son, the father and the son. And I think that that is a very, very important series for us to consider. Uh, And yet, on the other hand, I hate to leave things hanging and not finished. So now, uh, since we started the standard series, and and that sort of has kept going, I didn't intend it to go this long, and yet we're uh, well into it and still have a long way to go. I want to go back and finish up Jeremiah, and then continue uh, with the standard for us as God sees fit, and, and that's His will, and I live to do so. So, you may remember we left off Jeremiah in chapter 51, down about verse 13, I think, is where I stopped, and then started the Passover series. I'm going to do a brief review, even though this might appear somewhat seamless to someone later on who starts listening to the Jeremiah series, let's say, over the, uh, the Internet, and this will be placed with that series, uh, so it would be seamless to them. Yet, on the other hand, for us, it's been a long time, and we have new listeners since uh, that was started And since we left it off in chapter 51, so I'm going to do a very brief review here of sort of where we are in this, and that is for us to understand that most of the church, spiritual Jerusalem, spiritual Zion, as defined in Hebrews 12, 22, and 23, is the church today. Uh, If you read those two verses, it's very clear that he equates those with the church, and that is one of the fundamental keys to understanding the prophecies of today. Now, the church traditionally had considered that the great whore was the Catholic Church. We inherited that teaching and that belief essentially from Protestant commentators who had broken off from the Catholic Church and therefore called it a great whore. Uh, We took it one step further and called the Catholic Church the great whore and all the Protestant churches her little harlot daughters. So we added to the Protestant mystique in that particular subject. Now, if you examine the scriptures carefully, you find that the great whore cannot be the beast because the two beasts mentioned in, in Revelation 13, the beast and the false prophet, another beast which is a religious organization, both endure to the end of this age when Christ will take them by the nap of the neck and throw them into the lake of fire. I'm not going to go back and review all these scriptures, but just to give a bird's eye view of it, since you are already familiar, most of you. Now, it says that the great whore in Revelation 17 and 18, as defined there, is riding the beast. She sits astride the beast, not on its back, on its front. It's a sexual connotation there, or analogy. She is a whore, by the way. And this is borne out in Ezekiel 16, very clearly, where God labels Israel the great whore. It goes through and explains that she doesn't look like she came from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but she looks as if she came from an Amorite father and a Hittite mother. In other words, he can't tell Israel from the Gentiles. And then he goes on to show that this great whore, and Ezekiel is an end-time prophecy, by the way. It's not just talking about ancient Israel. It's an end-time prophecy which uh, goes right on into the millennium by the time you reach the end of Ezekiel. 
So it's speaking of an end-time great whore, just as obviously and certainly Revelation 17 and 18 are. And it goes so far as to say that Israel is not the classic harlot, because normally speaking, in that category, uh, men would pay a harlot. But in this case, she gives gifts to her lovers and hires them. I ask you, which country on earth today spends vast billions of dollars, not yen, but dollars, to buy lovers, to buy allies, that gives foreign aid in an unprecedented manner? Uh, what country would come to your mind in that regard? Who on earth today spends that kind of money to buy friends or lovers in this, in this particular context? So God himself labels Israel in the end time a great harlot. Now, in Revelation 18, it talks about this great harlot being a financial institution that has made the world rich. Has the Catholic Church made the world rich? No. The Catholic Church has pillaged entire continents and taken whatever riches they had from South America, for instance. The ancient Mayan and Incan uh, empires were destroyed by the Catholic Church. Their gold, their silver, their wealth were taken to Italy. She did not make them rich. Now, what nation on earth today do the nations live deliciously with, and what nation has made the earth rich? Is it Borneo? Who would it be? Has Russia made nations rich? Has Great Britain? No. Has Germany? No. America is the one that has made nations rich. We are the marketplace for the world, and American consumerism is leading the rise in China. It led a, a rise in Japan. We made them rich by buying their trinkets and then their automobiles in Japan. Now we're buying the trinkets and we're starting to buy the automobiles of China. But we have made all these nations rich with giving them money as well as being their best customers. I'm not going to read all of Revelation 17 and 18, but it is certainly a financial people that this is talking about that have made the world rich, and the merchants of the earth will cry when she is let down, or when she is destroyed. It is the American dollar that is the currency of the whole world. You have to buy oil in dollars. That's in the process of being changed, but up to this point that has been the case. And it is the reserve currency of the whole wide world. There are those around the world who would love to see us destroyed, and those in the New World Order who are working toward destroying us want to see us go down, but in some respects they want to see us go down gently. The Chinese would love to see us go down. They're enemies, they're not friends, and yet on the other hand, we're their market basket. And they join others in the world in buying $2 billion per day of American bonds to keep America afloat. They're quietly getting out of the dollar, buying euros, buying gold, uh, but they don't want to rock the boat too much because they're afraid it will go down. And Revelation, indeed, 
18, chapter 18 shows how it will go down. So, even though they're wanting to see it destroyed, they're afraid of the destruction because of what it will do to them. And indeed, Revelation 18 shows what it will do to them when it does happen, because it is coming, and it is coming fairly soon. If you read the news carefully, it looks like it could happen any day, any time, the crash of the American economy. Now, it is no surprise, then, to understand that the book of Daniel, which is the most complicated book in the Bible, well, I say complicated, compared Galatians, it's fairly complicated, too, until you understand it, but, it, but at least Galatians is open to understanding if you're smart enough to figure it out, whereas God closed Daniel on purpose. And it is only now, I think, that we begin, can begin to understand Daniel because it is so obviously an end-time book, ending with the return of Christ and the resurrection of saints. And being an end-time book, when you understand who Babylon is, you can begin to then understand the book of Daniel. If you understand America is the end-time Babylon it begins to open the book of Daniel because the empire we're dealing with there is the American empire. When it speaks of Babylon, it's speaking of us. And we are very, very much involved in it. There is much in there about the persecution of saints. And where is the church? It's in America as well. Most of it. Not all of it, but most of it. vast majority. So Revelation 13 through 18... The whole book of Daniel, Ezekiel 16, among other chapters, Isaiah 47 and 48, begin to describe and define who Babylon in the end time is, and that the church will be very involved with it. Now, let's go back then to Jeremiah 50 with that in mind, and we'll see further the defining of who modern-day Babylon is. Notice the end of chapter 49, verse 39. It shall come to pass in the latter days. So the context of these chapters, just as we go into chapter 50, is the latter days, the end time. The word that the Eternal spoke against Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet. Now, we are the land of Israel in America today. We're the people of Israel. At least we were until so mixed up that it's, it's a soup today but originally it was instituted as an Israelite nation. However, it is ruled over by a Babylonian government with people who set it up that way. So we are in the captivity, in that sense, of Babylon as Israelites, and have been all these years since this nation was generated, since it was started. We'll see that as we go through. But if this is a prophecy against Babylon, and that it will be taken, will be broken in pieces, her gods, her idols, her images. Verse 3, For out of the north there comes up a nation against her, which shall make her land desolate, and none shall dwell there, and they shall remove, they shall depart, both man and beast. Now, from the standpoint of Jerusalem originally, and in antiquity, the lands of the north were Babylon, and were the Assyrian Empire, and so on, because they were north of where God had placed Israel. However, people have migrated, changed locations, and we, as Babylon, 
are in today one of the northern lands. We're not in the southern hemisphere. We're a northern land. So the government of our land is Babylonian, and we're in a northern land, but there is another nation from the north that is going to lead the destruction of this nation. Now, it is very clear in Psalm 83, Isaiah 8, and so on, it will be a great coalition of nations against America, not just one nation. It mentions the Assyrian in particular in Isaiah 8, 9, 10 through that section. But Assyria is not the only one involved, and the church took a very narrow view of that through the, through the decades past, thinking it was just Germany and ten nations in Western Europe. We understand today and can see and comprehend that the UN is being empowered by bankers and politicians around the world. Doesn't have much power yet, but it is being utilized as a shell which will be given power in a ten unit division of the world. The geography of the world will be divided up into ten different divisions. Each will have a ruler or a king, and it will be a world-ruling empire. So, when that beast comes together, made of iron and miry clay, it will be a worldwide coalition against America to destroy this nation. The Islamic world will be involved. The Eastern Asia will be involved. It will probably be led by the Assyrian German or an Austrian, perhaps, uh, who will, but you see, most of those central bankers who are controlling things behind the scenes are European bankers. And it is the euro which is beginning to distance itself from the other currencies in the world and is not only a competitor, but is stronger than the American dollar today by considerable, at least 25 to 30 percent more valuable uh, than the American dollar. And the dollar is losing value very quickly now over the last few weeks and months, and that will continue. So there is a great coalition coming against us. We have our coalitions against others. There is one being developed against us. And our we'll, Well, let's go on here. We'll make our land desolate, verse 3. None shall dwell therein. Verse 4, in those days and in that time, says the eternal children of Israel shall come. They and the children of Judah together, going and weeping, they shall go and seek the eternal their God. So, in the midst of the destruction of Babylon, why do we have talk here of Israel going to seek their God? Because we are ruled over by a Babylonian religion, by a Babylonian government, and we will at some point depart from Babylon and begin to seek God. So Israel is right here within the context involved with and enmeshed in Babylon. This is about the destruction of Babylon. But Israel is right here in it. Why, if we are not in Babylon today, is Israelites, and particularly the church? Uh, we'll talk now about the church specifically. It says they shall ask the way to Zion with their faces thitherward. We've always asked the way to Petra, haven't we? Uh, I think we have a surprise coming as a people and as a church. They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces pointed that direction, saying, Come and let us join ourselves to the eternal in a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. 
So, a covenant of everlasting life. The new covenant. My people have been lost sheep. Now, a perpetual covenant, a new covenant, is a covenant that you and I are involved in. So this is speaking of the church today. And is the church today lost sheep? They're scattered all over the world. God has spewed the church out. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. Read Ezekiel 34, Jeremiah 23, and the book of Malachi, among others. And see that, yes, the ministry has a great deal to do with what has occurred. Although we as individuals are not without uh, blame in the situation as well. They have turned them away on the mountains. They've gone from mountain to hill. Bigger churches to smaller churches. Big organizations to small ones. Mountains to hills. That's the process we've been watching for the last 20 years. They have forgotten their resting place. Or a place to lie down safely. The people are milling about not knowing what to do, where to go, who to listen to and what's right and what's wrong. So right within the middle of Babylon, we have a restless, scattered flock of sheep. All, they, all that have found them have devoured them, and their adversaries said, We offend not, because they have sinned against the eternal. Uh, they're fair game, in other words. doesn't matter, because they've sinned. And yes, we have sinned. We have come short of the glory of God, and God is doing this spewing out, as we'll see when we get to the book of Lamentations, very clearly. But he's allowing Satan and the ministry and our own Laodiceanism to bring it about. So then he gives some, some advice in verse 8. Remove out of the midst of Babylon, go forth out of the land of the Chaldeans, and be as the he-goats before the flocks. So there is some instruction here, that when you see the imminent destruction of Babylon... If you are a part of the church of God in this lost, scattered flock, you could get out of the middle of Babylon, where it has its worst effect. Micah 4 says, leave the city, go dwell in the field or the open spaces. Zephaniah 2 says, before the financial crash outlined in Zephaniah 1, we are to gather ourselves together and to be away from that which is about to be destroyed. So it doesn't say get out completely, but get out of the middle of it. And Micah 4 defines that. So it is time to begin to take heed to some of these scriptures. That is why this little group that I'm looking at today, not the ones on the phone, have come out of the cities, have moved into a wilderness desert area, away from the midst of Babylon where it has its greatest effect upon us trying to get away from it as much as we possibly can. And that's because of such instruction as this, and that in Isaiah 48, verse 20, where it says, flee from her. Why? Why do you get out of the middle of it? Verse 9, for I will raise and cause to come up against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the north country. So it is to be an assemblage, a coalition of nations headed by someone from the north country. And they shall set themselves in array against her. Verse 10, Chaldea shall be a spoil. All that spoil her shall be satisfied, says the Eternal. They're going to be happy to see this nation destroyed. Because you were glad, because you rejoiced, O you destroyers of my heritage, because you are grown fat as the heifer at grass and bellow as bulls, your mother shall be sore confounded. She that bore you shall be ashamed. So, 
uh, even though God uses a great coalition of nations to punish Israel, uh, he doesn't take too kindly to them doing that to his people either at the same time, and they too will be punished, but each in its own time. So speaking of Babylon, verse 15, it says, Shout against her roundabout. She has given her hand. I think I commented as we went on through this that we are being uh, betrayed by our own leaders who have given us into the hand of those who will destroy us. Very quickly, we have a government that is betraying us, destroying our sovereignty by removing our borders, and indeed plans to have our borders officially removed between Canada and Mexico within five years. And they have basically taken the border down now, even though they're giving a little bit of lip service to guarding it. Uh, They're not stopping the flow of immigrants across the border at all, because it is part of the plan. And the Bible clearly says the Gentile will rise up high above us. So, as Israelites in this land, we're being flooded by Gentiles not only from Mexico, but from the Orient, from India, from all over the world. They're coming in, they're removing our jobs, and they're taking the jobs that we have within our own country as well. And it is being done with malice aforethought. It is treason what is being done to us as Israelites by those in charge. This nation celebrated its independence from King George of Britain in 1776, the Declaration of Independence, July 4th. And little does it realize that it's going into captivity, into slavery, to a present King George. Is it only ironic that we got our independence from King George of England and now have accepted another King George who is ignoring the Constitution, who is ignoring Congress, and doing whatsoever he pleases. And he is being coached by a coalition of central bankers behind the scenes who have in mind to destroy this country. And we have given our hand to them. We're being betrayed from within. Her foundations are fallen, her walls are thrown out, for it is God's vengeance. Uh, Let's see, verse 17 again, it brings Israel in. Israel is a scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. First the king of Assyria has devoured him, and last this Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon has broken his bones. The church has been sat upon and enslaved to the Babylonian system during its entire existence in this end time. From the time the church started in 1933-34 and so on through there, About 70 years ago, we have been in the clutches of Babylon, and we have had trouble coming out of it, spiritually even, much less physically, because that Babylonian culture has affected every part of our lives. But like the Jews who were in ancient Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar, we kind of grew to like it. And when they were released to go back to Jerusalem, most of them did not want to go. They had homes, they had jobs, they had accepted the Babylonian culture. Even the Talmud that the Jews live by today was a Babylonian instrument, which is far removed from the Bible. And most of them stayed right there. 
just as today most of the church is going to stay in the Babylonian culture that we find ourselves in. And when God makes a call to come out of it, most will be unwilling, and they will fall in the midst of Babylon when it goes. And it will go soon now. Uh, verse 20, In those days and in that time says, Eternally iniquity of Israel shall be sought, sought for, and there shall be none. And the sins of Judah, and they shall not be found, for I will pardon them whom I reserve. God is going to save out of all this trouble in the church a 10% remnant, just as he is going to save out a 10% remnant of physical Israel for the millennium. And he says in other scriptures, I won't go there, that he will forgive our sins in one day, and that he will turn and shine his face upon us if we will seek him with our whole hearts. So God says, our sin will no longer be found. Our righteousness will be of him, last verse of Isaiah 54. He'll pardon those whom he reserves. Let's drop on down to verse 23. How is the hammer of the whole earth cut asunder and broken? How has Babylon become a desolation among the nations? Here is a, another verse that I think very clearly shows who modern Babylon is. If you were to do a poll of people around the world, and in this country for that matter, and you said, define for me what nation on earth today is the hammer of the whole earth. Which one would it be? What nation hammers on whomsoever they choose to hammer? If you can't buy them, you hammer them. I don't think it's Ghana. China doesn't do it. North Korea blusters, but they don't do it. We're the only ones on the face of the earth today who have the temerity and the power to hammer anyone we wish. We can use conventional weapons, and if that doesn't work, we can threaten with nuclear weapons, and we may start using them, even against Iran. Verse 24, I've laid a snare for you, and you were also taken, O Babylon, and you were not aware. How many of our people today in this country are aware that we are about to be broken and destroyed? Most people are blissfully unaware. They're going about their jobs, commuting to work, watching their TV at night, and as long as they have the check coming in and can meet their mortgage and pay for their cable, they're happy. That is the American view today. You start talking about some of these things, about the uh, financial condition being $65 trillion in debt or whatever it is today, and so on, and most people, their eyes just cross. They go blank. They don't realize the position we're in. So it's going to come as a surprise to the majority of the population of this country. There's only a few who are awake and realize what's happening. Verse 28, The voice of them that flee and escape out of the land of Babylon to declare in Zion the vengeance of the eternal our God, the vengeance of his temple. We know from Haggai and the first six chapters of Zechariah, among others in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and so on, that God is going to raise up a latter temple here at the end, out in the desert, in the wilderness, and the mountains, 
and that he is going to bring a tithe, a 10% of his people called at the end time to rebuild the temple the way it ought to be built and ultimately go to a place of safety called Zion, wherever that may be. And it is the vengeance of his temple. Now, what does the Bible outline in Zechariah 4 and in particularly the Revelation 11 and Micah 4 and 5, for that matter, among other places, that will happen? The two witnesses will be leading a work that is a light set on a hill to be seen. It will be Jerusalem as towns without walls because it will not need defenses military. It will have its defense as God. And God will protect it. And when it goes to a place of safety, God will protect it there. And two will go out from that work and will take the vengeance of God's temple against the world. So it will be two witnesses for who God is against the entire rest of the world. And they will be centered in America, that which is Babylon today. That's where God's temple is. And Isaiah makes it clear we are to stay in our own land, and it is a land of far distances. And on and on and on it goes. I don't have time to go into all of that today. Call together the archers against Babylon. So God's people, God's church, God's true church, will be in the middle of Babylon and will be declaring war against the rest of the world, a witness against it and plagues and death on those who will not listen to their message. And that temple is in the beginnings of being built today. So it says, call together the archers against Babylon, in verse 29. All you that bend the bow, camp around against it, and so on. End of the verse, for she has been proud against the eternal, against the Holy One of Israel. Pride is something that has to go away. We have been emphasizing in the series on God's standard for us, humility, meekness, uh, poverty in spirit, recognizing how spiritually weak and ineffective we are without the Spirit of God. But here you have a proud nation, and her men will fall in the streets in that day. Verse 31, Behold, I'm against you, O you most proud. Who would you say is the most proud nation today of all the nations? All peoples have their pride. But we in America have felt we were the leading nation, the best nation, that everything we have should go to the rest of the world. However corrupt it might be, we have felt that they should have our culture, they should have our leadership, they should have our government, and so on and so forth. We are the most proud. For your day has come. Verse 32, And the most proud shall stumble and fall, and none shall raise him up. And I will kindle a fire in his cities, devour them. Verse 33, thus says the eternal of hosts, the children of Israel and the children of Judah were oppressed together. So we have been under the oppressive Babylonian culture that is opposite from God's culture, and we have been reveling in it through our lives. And all that took them captives held them fast. They refused to let them go. Why does it say in Isaiah 52 that we have to break the bands of Babylon off our neck? 
because they have held us secure. Everything about this nation is designed to destroy the family. It is designed to destroy health. It is designed to destroy education and literacy. It is designed to destroy us as a people. It is designed to make the poor poorer and the very rich richer and to destroy the middle class. Everything about this country is designed to destroy its sovereignty so that it can become a part of the new world order. A counterfeit world order set up by Satan that is supposedly going to be the millennium. But it will have a false god and it won't last long. And only a very few will escape the culture that is coming. A very, very few. It will be so powerful that even the very elect would be deceived if it were possible. That means it is going to be very, very powerful. Verse 37, a sword is upon their horses and upon their chariots and upon all the mingled people that are in the midst of her. We're importing mingled races by the millions. Little do they know they would be better off to go home because of what is about to happen to this country. They're coming here to achieve the American dream. And the American dream is about to wake up in a bloodbath. There is, in fact, there's one verse here somewhere, I, I don't know where it is, maybe we'll come a, across it before the day is over, where it talks, go back to your own country. It even says it in so many words. Go back where you came from, because of the destruction that is coming here. It talks about drought, wild beasts, and so on coming. There are droughts back and forth across our nation today. Verse 41, Behold, a people shall come forth from the north, and a great nation, and many kings shall be raised up from the coasts of the earth, from all around the earth and to do battle against you, O daughter of Babylon, into verse 42. Uh, verse 45, into the verse, Surely the least of the flock shall draw them out. A better translation is, Her little ones shall be dragged away into slavery. Chapter 51, Thus says the Eternal, Behold, I will raise up against Babylon and against them that dwell in the midst of them that rise up against me a destroying wind, powerful army. And it'll be a trouble, a day of trouble. Let's go on down to some more uh, guidance, direction to us. Verse 5, For Israel has not been forsaken, nor Judah of his God. Now, here again, you have the destruction of Babylon being talked about. And right in the middle of it, it talks about how Israel has not been neglected or forsaken or forgotten by God. So Israel, again, is right in the middle of this Babylon. Though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. Our land today is filled with sin. It's everywhere. So what are we to do? Verse 6. Flee out of the midst of Babylon and deliver every man his soul. Be not cut off in her iniquity. Our iniquity is supposed to be forgiven and forgotten. Babylon's will not be. Israel's will not be. So it's telling Israel here at the end, to flee out of the midst of Babylon. Verse 7, Babylon has been a golden cup in the Eternal's hand that made all the earth drunken. 
The nations have drunk of her wine, therefore the nations are mad. Who is the golden cup in the world today? Where is the one that has made the nations rich? The United States is the one that has done it. Babylon is suddenly fallen and destroyed, it says in one day in Revelation 18. Howl for her, take balm for her pain, if so be she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Now this is speaking from the standpoint of we, the church, God's people, Israel. This is the land we were born in. This is the land we would like to see healed. This is a place we would like to see blessed. But it is not being blessed. It is full of sin. Do you and I, as spiritual Israelites, have any affection particularly for China or Russia or any of these other nations that we would want to see it healed? No, we want to see our own land healed. That which God gave us, which is ruled over by satanic, ungodly men. And which has led us into great sin and whoredom. You know, it's not just the leaders and the politicians who are sinning. Who are giving money to other nations and buying their favors as the great whore. Fornication and adultery and broken marriages are very common today. You know, 50, 60 years ago, if there was a divorce in the family, everybody hushed it up. If someone was shacking up, it was something to be ashamed of and hidden. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I didn't, I'm not saying there wasn't sin. But we were still ashamed. But God says in the end time, Israel will not even blush. Not ashamed of it. Now it's out in the open. Almost every TV or movie made, TV program or movie made has fornication in it somewhere. It is being promoted. Most of them now are beginning to introduce homosexuality into almost everyone. Because it is in good favor today. It is something that is promoted today. It's not something to be ashamed of anymore. It's all out of the closet now. We're not ashamed anymore of our sins. We would have healed her, but she's not healed. Forsake her, and let us go everyone into his own country. There it is. Get out of Babylon. If you came from a different country, now's the time to go home because Babylon is about to be destroyed and you'll go down with it. For her judgment reaches to heaven and is lifted up to the skies. Verse 10, the Lord has brought forth our righteousness. Come, let us declare in Zion the work of the eternal, our God. Now Zion is a type of the church, but it is also a place of safety. It is both. Zion means that. Go through the Bible. Look up the word Petra. See how much you find. Look up the word Zion. See how much you find. Both spiritually and physically. So God, or Ezekiel, or Jeremiah here, excuse me, is talking about the righteous within the land of Babylon and how God will declare or show forth their righteousness, and it will be declared in Zion. 
talking about the church, in the verse 11 it says, The vengeance of the eternal, the vengeance of his temple, his church, will be seen. Set up the standard upon the walls of Babylon. Make the watch strong. Set up the watchmen. Prepare the ambushes. For the eternal has both devised and done that which he spoke against the inhabitants of Babylon. Better look around and realize this is coming. O you that dwell upon many waters, abundant in treasures, your end is come. The measure of your covetousness. Now that's where we left off the last time uh, we were addressing Jeremiah. What is the country that dwells, rules over, influences many peoples? Waters in the Bible is symbolic of people. We are the ones that have more influence over the rest of the world than any other country. Abundant in treasures. Who is the wealthiest, the most materialistic nation on earth? The most abundant in treasures. That's us. Your end has come, and the measure of your covetousness. This nation, above all, breaks the Tenth Commandment. We are materialistic. We want money and the things that money will buy. We are a very covetous people. But he said, the end of your covetousness will come. You'll be crying for a scrap of bread. The Eternal of hosts has sworn by himself, saying, Surely I will fill you with men as with caterpillars. We're going to be overtaken by soldiers from around the world who will come in like caterpillars. Have you ever seen a swarm of caterpillars? I have. They're crawling everywhere. And they shall lift up a shout against you. He has made the earth by his power. This is speaking of God. He has established the world by his wisdom and has stretched out the heaven by his understanding. In other words, he's the one in charge. And if he decrees this, you better brace yourself. It is going to happen. When he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens and he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightnings with rain and brings forth the wind out of his treasures. He controls all these things. <laughs> Every man is brutish by his knowledge, or everybody's a fool compared to God. Every founder is confounded by the graven image, for his molten image is falsehood, and there is no breath in them. In other words, there is a real God, and there are false gods. Our false god of materialism is going to be taken away from us. They are vanity, the work of errors, in the time of their visitation they shall perish. The portion of Jacob is not like them. Now God is going to save something back for Jacob, for spiritual Israel. Right in the midst of the fall of Babylon, that's the context here. God has saved something for Jacob. For he is the former of all things, and Israel is the rod of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. So even though he's going to destroy Babylon, Jacob is mentioned, or Israel, and spiritual Israel is the one he deals with first, not physical Israel. You are my battle axe and weapons of war. That's spiritual Israel. That's the two witnesses in the work that is with them. It's not Israel as a whole. It's Israel as a whole physically that's going to be destroyed. For with you will I break in pieces the nations, and with you will I destroy kingdoms. What does it say in Zechariah 4? Against Jerusalem, against Zerubbabel, all nations 
or all mountains will be made hills or be made plain, be knocked flat. That doesn't mean Mount Everest. It means nations and governments, because mountains and hills are governments in biblical prophecy. And it's very clear that God makes Zerubbabel and Joshua those who go out against the world and bring plagues, and that the world simply cannot do anything against. They're the battle axe. And with you will I break in pieces the horse and his rider. Fire will come out of their mouths and destroy anyone that would hurt them. With you also will I break in pieces man and woman. See, this is right after the fall of Babylon. And with you will I break in pieces old and young. And with you will I break in pieces the young man and the maid. I will also break in pieces with you the shepherd and his flock. So they are given dominion over the nations of the world and over religion. None can do anything against it because of the power of God. Not because of men, but because of God. And with you will I break in pieces the husbandman and his yoke of oxen. And with you will I break in pieces captains and rulers. Now, Israel is going to be destroyed. We know that. And the church has already been destroyed, except God is going to bring a tithe together of his faithful, and they will be given great power to go up against the world. Verse 24, And I will render unto Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea all their evil that they have done in Zion in your sight says the Eternal. If the U.S. is the modern Babylon, all the evil that they have done has been in the sight of most of the church. And certainly around the world, they can even observe what's happening in America today. And they are going to come against the church. Uh, the little horn of Daniel 8, who comes up after this nation has been divided into four pieces, will come against the church. I won't go to Daniel 8. That's another study. Behold, I am against you, O destroying mountain, says the Eternal, who destroys all the earth. No other nation is in a position to destroy anyone on earth they want to. We could destroy China today, if we so desire, with nuclear weapons. We could destroy Japan today. There's no other nation who has the armament and the ability to destroy anyone on earth that we have today. Scary, isn't it? And yet, we're going to fall. And we're being sold out and given into their hand of those who would come against us. You know, our government has the capacity to destroy anyone they want to, but the problem is their desire is to destroy us. So they will lend the munitions or anything that is needed to others to do just that. Babylon, this government, set to destroy Israel. I will stretch out my hand upon you and roll you down from the rocks and will make you a burnt mountain. I just drove through about a 60,000-acre fire up on the Kaibab the other day. And on either side of the road, there are these charred timbers, charred trees, absolutely, totally black. Even highway signs melted on their poles. <laughs> it was so hot. God is going to make a burnt mountain out of this nation. And they shall not take of you a stone for a corner, nor a stone for foundations, but you shall be desolate forever, says the Eternal. 
There's no part of this society that is worth saving or that anyone would want once it is charred and destroyed. It won't be used as a foundation stone for anything else. God decrees that this nation, once it goes down, will never revive again as we have known it. Verse 27, set up a standard in the land, blow the trumpet among the nations, prepare the nations against her, call together against her the kingdoms of Ararat, Nini, and Ashkenaz, those who claim to be Jews that aren't, the Ashkenazis, appoint a captain against her, cause the horses to come up as the rough caterpillars. So, this is a coalition not only of people from the north, as it says in verse 41 of chapter 50, but also includes other peoples, other Gentile nations. God says, I'm calling you to a feast. I want my people Israel punished, and their rulers punished, and it's all going down. Prepare her against her the nations with the kings of the Medes. Where was the Medo-Persian Empire? Iraq, Iran. You know, King George today is actually, in reality, the king of Babylon, literally. Now, this nation represents the king of the north, Babylon at the moment. There's another king of the north being prepared. After this one has fallen, that one will take over. But when Saddam Hussein's government went down and America took over Iraq, that is the site of ancient Babylon. And King George of America today is the king of Babylon, literally. even though there are people who are fighting that over there. And not only that, the king of the Medes will come against us. Now, if you look at Daniel 8, you have this goat which came from the west, and it flew, didn't touch the ground. We do it by air today. We don't do it with ground troops initially. We do it by air. We don't touch the ground. And the ram from the east, the Middle East, runs together with the goat, and the ram has its first horn broken. I believe that today to be Iraq. And it had a bigger horn behind it, which I believe today to be Iran. And it says that the goat smashes the horn on the other horn on the ram, and then has its own horn broken. So it would appear, if this view of Daniel 8 is correct, that we will indeed attack Iran, we will indeed break their horn, but shortly thereafter, our own horn will be broken. It will be divided into four different pieces. Our sovereignty will go away. And a little horn that comes out of that, according to Daniel 8, will come and persecute the church. That seems to be the way things are laid out in Daniel 8, and indeed on the world scene, that appears the way it is shaping up. Because people are beginning to realize that America has about had it. We have enough in us, perhaps, to punish the Medes. But, you know, even though we have captured Iraq, we haven't really fully conquered it, have we? We have people over there dying daily. We have a rebellion going on there and a civil war going on. So even though we might go in and bomb Iran, will we completely destroy it? I really rather doubt it, because our history recently has not been that. 
So, it says here in verse 28, prepare against her the nations with the kings of the Medes. There will be a retaliation. The captains thereof, and all the rulers thereof, and all the land of his dominion. And the land shall tremble in sorrow, for every purpose of the eternal shall be performed against Babylon to make the land of Babylon a desolation without an inhabitant. It says in Ezekiel 5 that Israel will have a third die of pestilence and famine, a third die by the sword, and a third taken captive. That means they'll get us all, either through death or slavery. The mighty men of Babylon have forborne to fight. They have remained in their holes. They'll be afraid. And they're being coached right now to go against Americans. They've been given questionnaires as to whether they would fire on American citizens or not. Some will not be willing to, and they'll remain within their bivouac. But do you think those UN troops that are already on our soil and are being augmented monthly, weekly, daily, will be afraid to fire on Americans? I think not. Their might has failed. They became as women. They have burned her dwelling places, her bars, her guards are broken. Throughout history, men have been the ones who have basically done warfare. Our country today and Israel does have women in the armed forces, but women generally have not been bearers of arms or been the voracious, mean, aggressive types as men have. So he says that our Warring men will become like traditionally women have been. Stay home, take care of the kids, let the men go off to war. Let them do the killing and pillaging and raping and fighting. But our fighting men will become like the women used to be. One messenger shall run to meet another, and one messenger to meet another, to show the king of Babylon, that will be King George today, I don't know who it will be when this happens, he may still be in power that his city is taken at one end, and that the passages are stopped, and the reeds they have burned with fire, and the men of war are scared half to death. I wonder if the passages are stopped would mean our interstates are shut down. No, no longer able to uh, travel openly, to carry food and other things to the cities of the nation. Highways stopped. For thus says the eternal of hosts, the God of Israel. Well, here in the midst of the destruction of Babylon, we're talking about the God of Israel. The daughter of Babylon is like a threshing floor. It is time to thresh her, yet a little while, and the time of her harvest shall come. So we are Israel today, ruled over by Babylon. And we are to be aware that this nation and its leadership are about to go into captivity and fall. And we need to take heed... And be aware and do whatever we can to remove ourselves from it so that we are not taken with it. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has devoured me. He has crushed me. He has made me an empty vessel. He has swallowed me up like a dragon. He has filled his belly with my delicacies. He has cast me out. The violence done to me and to my flesh be upon Babylon shall the inhabitant of Zion say, and my blood upon the inhabitants of Chaldea shall Jerusalem say. Zion and Jerusalem are the church. This mighty Babylon 
will have a little horn in it once it is divided up that will come against the church. And we will have to flee to Zion. Therefore, thus says the Eternal, Behold, I will plead your cause and take vengeance for you. Who? His faithful. No one else. Physical Israel is going to go into captivity, go into slavery. Most of them be killed. And only a small percentage, 10%, small percentage at that, small tithe, will survive physically to go into the millennium. Well, this is talking about some that God will plead the cause for and take vengeance for. That would be spiritual Israel, the ones he is most concerned about. And Babylon shall become heaps, a dwelling place for dragons, an astonishment, a hissing, without an inhabitant. Do we still love this culture? Are we having trouble leaving it like the ancient Jews did once they became ensconced in Babylon? It's coming down. It's going to be destroyed. Do you want to be clinging to it? Do you want to be part of it? Or is it time to turn it loose, get away from it, in every way you possibly can? Not to be associated with it. Not to be friends of it. Not to like what it has to offer. You see, when you're perverted, you don't really know you're perverted. This is a problem. Let's use the example of homosexuality. It is a perversion, clearly. Sodom and Gomorrah showed that. Romans 1 shows that, that men would leave the natural use of the woman and burn in their desire one for another, and that the women would do the same thing. It is a perversion. But today, they're trying to normalize it and say it's hereditary, it's in your genes, it's not a perversion, it's just natural. But God calls it a perversion. Those who are perverted consider themselves normal. They think they're normal. And the world around us is beginning to accept that they are normal, isn't it? So perversion becomes normal. Now, we have perverted taste buds, perverted entertainment buds, perverted clothing buds, Perverted, any kind of bud you want to talk about. But it seems normal to us because that's the way we grew up. And most Americans do not realize how perverted we are. I'm not talking about sexual perversion, though there's plenty of that. But these other perversions we take as normal. They become common. And when you think you're normal, and you think what you're doing is okay, how do you change it? That's the same enigma that the church has. Most of the church think they're Philadelphians, and therefore they're normal, and they're spiritually okay, and they have nothing to change. Even though it does say the Philadelphian has to overcome, doesn't it? It's like the others. But when they think they're the good guys, what do you change? When we, growing up in this culture, think that America is the good guys, what do we have to change? 
And therefore, when someone tells us we need to get away from it and change it, that it is not normal, that it is perverted, we have difficulties with that. We fight that because it isn't the way we have thought. But we're no less perverted in other ways than the homosexuals are perverted and think they're normal. All right, where did I leave off here? Verse 37, Babylon shall become heaps, just piles of rubble, a dwelling place for dragons. Lizards will crawl around. An astonishment, a hissing without an inhabitant. They shall roar together like lions. They shall yell as lions whelps. In their heat, in their passion, their emotion, I will make their feasts and I will make them drunken that they may rejoice and sleep a perpetual sleep and not wake, says the Eternal. In the middle of our partying as a nation... God's going to tear it apart and put us to sleep, kill us off. I will bring them down like lambs to the slaughter, like rams with he goats. How is Shishak taken? Shishak means Babel. And how is the praise of the whole earth surprised? What nation would you say today is the praise of the whole earth? Another defining verse here. Which nation does everyone look to? and want to be a part of. Which nation exports its culture and the rest of the world laps it up? TV programs, movies, clothes, Coca-Colas, whatever perverted thing we export, the world just laps up. Which nation do people want to become a part of? Do they want the German dream? Is it the Russian dream? Is it the Chinese dream? No, it's the American dream. You go to Africa, you go to Asia, you go to any place on earth, and it's American stuff and American movies that you see wherever you go. We have been the praise of the whole earth. How is this praise of the whole earth going to be surprised? Oh, will it ever be a surprise? How has Babylon become an astonishment among the nations? It wouldn't astonish you if the Russians or the Chinese whipped up on the Indians, would it? But when the world whips up on the United States, now there's an astonishment. There's a surprise. The sea has come up upon Babylon. Sea meaning a multitude of peoples, nations. She is covered with a multitude of the waves thereof. Her cities are a desolation. We're going to be overrun by Gentile nations. A land where no man dwells, neither does any, uh, any son of man pass thereby. They all want to come here now. They won't want to come here then. And I will punish Baal in Babylon, and I will bring forth out of his mouth that which he has swallowed up, and the nations shall not flow together any more to him. The nations have all flowed to America. This is the direction of their goods, their market, everything. They've come here. What's that song, movie, Coming to America? Neil Diamond did many years ago. Coming to America. Not anymore. Won't happen anymore. Yes, the wall of Babylon shall fall. The wall means the defenses, the military. It's going away. My people. All right, this is coming. Now he addresses his people. His people, go you out of the middle of her. 
That means God's people are in the middle of Babylon. Now, people try to say, well, that's ancient. That's in Iraq. How many of God's people are there? None that I know of. How many of God's people are in Jerusalem or Israel today? None that I know of. A few have gone from America to there. But God didn't convert a group of people in Israel. Most of them were here. My people, get out of the middle of her and deliver you, every man his soul, from the fierce anger of the eternal. People have trouble understanding why we're doing what we're doing out here. I think this should make it abundantly plain and clear. This nation's going down. God tells his people, get out of the middle of her. And deliver every man his soul from the fierce anger of the eternal. And lest your heart faint, lest you become discouraged, give up, lest your heart faint, and you fear for the rumor that shall be heard in the land. A lot of people are beginning to fear the rumors they're seeing in the land. And there are rumors now. Well, let's read the rest of this verse and I'll comment. A rumor shall both come in one year, and after that in another year shall come a rumor, and violence in the land, ruler against ruler. We're beginning to see this happen. There have been rumors of all kinds of things, and now we have generals who are calling for the impeachment of the president. We have the nation, or the city of Berkeley, which is formulating a petition to impeach the president. Uh, we have rumors going back and forth across our land today because some are beginning to wake up to the fact that the President, the Congress, the Supreme Court do not have our best interests in mind at all and are in the process of betraying us. And they're doing unconstitutional things. They're spying on us uh, illegally and so on and so forth. But some of the leaders, the rulers of the land, are beginning to fight that. So you're going to have ruler against ruler, rumor upon rumor, and finally, finally, violence in the land. So what is happening here is beginning to wake some people up, and there will be civil strife, might I say even civil war, that will soon come upon this country, ruler against ruler with violence. Therefore, behold, the days come that I will do judgment upon the graven image of Babylon, and her whole land shall be confounded, and all her slain shall fall in the midst of her. Then the heaven and the earth, and all that is therein, shall sing for Babylon, for the spoilers shall come to her from the north, says the Eternal. Some people say it's going to be the Islamic world that comes against us. Well, they hate us, and there are acts of terrorism some of it propagated by our own government that have been done and are planned against us. But it's going to be led by a contingency from the north. I think the scriptures are very, very plain on that. Those Islamic nations will join together with it, so they will be involved. But they will not lead it. They are not from the north. As Babylon has caused the slain of Israel to fall, so at Babylon shall fall the slain of all the earth. So God, this, this Babylonian government is destroying Israel and it, the, the slain of Babylon will fall all over the earth. 
You that have escaped the sword, go away. Stand not still. Does that mean you ought to go somewhere? Get away from something? What does that mean? If it doesn't mean that, what does it mean? Can we ignore these things? People want to. Remember the eternal far off and let Jerusalem come into your mind. Here again, Jerusalem, Zion, are the church. Wherever God's people, God's true people are, is where we need to be. That is the place God will protect. He's not going to protect physical Israel through this. One-third dies of the famine and pestilence, one-third of the sword, and one-third taken captive. It is only the faithful of spiritual Israel. And that, that had better come into our mind, even at a time when the church is falling apart and people are departing from God's ways. We are confounded because we have heard reproach. Shame has covered our faces. For strangers are come into the sanctuaries of the Lord's house. Babylon's not the Lord's house. The church of God is the Lord's house. And strangers came into that sanctuary, didn't they? Gentiles, Edomites, with false religion, paganism, came into the sanctuaries of the church of God and led the majority of the church right back into Babylonian religion and Protestantism. And others are giving up left and right and barely retaining anything of God. We need to be very vigilant lest that happen to us. Wherefore, behold, the days come, says the Eternal, that I will do judgment upon her graven images, and through all her land the wounded shall, shall groan. Though Babylon should bound up to heaven, and though she should fortify the height of her strength, yet from me shall spoilers come to her, says the Eternal. Maybe that's a reference to space war. Maybe weapons in space and satellites. Even though she has satellites with nuclear weapons and all kinds of chemical warfare or whatever, set up in the heavens, rotating around the earth, God says it won't save her. The sanctuary of the Eternal's house is in the midst of Babylon. Where was the headquarters of God's church? This nation. Israel is today ruled over by Babylon. The United States is the Babylon of prophecy. Verse 54, sound of a cry comes from Babylon, and great destruction from the land of the Chaldeans. Because the Eternal has spoiled Babylon and destroyed out of her the great voice, when her waves do roar like great waters, a noise of their voice is uttered. Maybe that's a reference to our mass media that is controlled by domestic and foreign bankers and business people. That great voice will be stilled because the spoiler has come upon her, even upon Babylon, and her mighty men are taken. Every one of their bows is broken, for the eternal God of recompenses shall surely requite. And I will make drunk her princes and her wise men, her captains and her rulers, and her mighty men, and they shall sleep a perpetual sleep. They'll, be, they'll fight like drunk men, 
You ever seen drunks fighting? They paw the ground a lot, and then they swing at each other and miss. And it doesn't do them much good, and they fall in a heap when they do swing sometimes. It's the way drunks fight. So that's the way our mighty men will fight, like drunks. And they'll die. Perpetual sleep. And not wake, says the king, whose name is Eternal of Hosts. Thus says the Eternal of Hosts, the broad walls of Babylon shall be utterly broken. That's our military. And her high gates shall be burned with fire. Doesn't matter if we got satellites or nuclear weapons and airplanes or nuclear submarines or whatever. It's all going down. And the people shall labor in vain, and the folk in the fire, and they shall be weary. Anyone who would try to defend us, got a hopeless task ahead. The word which Jeremiah the prophet commanded Siriah, the son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, uh, when he went with Zedekiah, the king of Judah, into Babylon in the fourth year of his reign. And this Siriah was a quiet prince. So Jeremiah wrote in a book all the evil that should come upon Babylon, even all these words that are written against Babylon. It's a book we're reading today. Jeremiah said to Sariah, When you come to Babylon and shall see and shall read all these words, then shall you say, O Eternal, you have spoken against this place to cut it off, that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but that it shall be desolate forever. And it shall be, when you have made an end of reading this book, that you shall bind the stone to it and cast it into the midst of Euphrates. And you shall say, Thus shall Babylon sink, and shall not rise from the evil that I will bring upon her, and they shall be weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. So a final prophecy that it's going into the river and sinking like a stone and can't be saved. That's the summation of it. Now let's quickly go through 52 and finish this up. It has to do with the past days, as I mentioned in the announcements earlier. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did that which was evil in the eyes of the Eternal, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. So here's an evil king, for through the anger of the Eternal it came to pass in Jerusalem and Judah, till he had cast them out from his presence, and Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. So we have a, after the prophecy here against Babylon... Now, remember, the whole book of Jeremiah was about Israel. And then it has things against different nations, Babylon, which is Israel with foreign rulership and a bad culture, is mentioned here at the end. But then we have, in a sense, a postscript which talks about what happened. We had an evil king. It came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, verse 4, in the tenth day, the tenth month, in the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came, and he and all his army, against Jerusalem, and pitched against it, and built forts against it round about. So the city was besieged to the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. And in the fourth month, in the ninth day of the month, the famine was sore in the city, so that there was no bread for the people of the land. Now, on a spiritual level today, we would consider Amos 8 here, where it says there will be a famine of the Word, not of bread, but of the Word of God. Now go from seacoast to seacoast to not be able to find it. This was a physical famine back then. Then the city was broken up, and all the men of war fled, and went forth out of the city by night, by the way of the gate between the two walls, 
which was by the king's garden. Now the Chaldeans were by the city round about, and they went by the way of the plain. Now that happened on the fourth month, seventeenth day. It was besieged on the tenth, or the ninth, excuse me, but it fell on the seventeenth, which came to be the fast of the fourth month, which is this coming Wednesday, according to God's calendar. Now, I think it is interesting that he uses this physical postscript to the book to show that, indeed, ancient Babylon did fall, or, or Israel fell to Babylon, excuse me. And Israel, the church, is going to fall before Babylon, except for a few that God is going to raise up. So history here is given as a lesson for the future, for those who are reading the book of Jeremiah in the latter days. Verse 8, But the army of the Chaldeans pursued after the king and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. Then they took the king and carried him up unto the king of Babylon to Riblah, in the land of Hamath, where he gave judgment upon him. So Israel was taken into captivity, or Judah was, for 70 years. Just as we, in the end time, have been in the clutches of a Babylonian culture and a Babylonian government for all the history of the end-time church, which is now, I think, a little over 70 years, and is therefore just about over. The 70 years were finished back then when Judah was taken captive into Babylon, but it was in the second year of Darius that they were released. So, it was two years after the fall of Babylon before Judah anciently was released to go to Jerusalem. So, it was 70 years plus a couple before they were released. How long will it be before God's people are released so that they can gather and build the latter temple? Verse 10, And the king of Babylon slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. He slew also the princes of Judah and Riblah. Then he put out the eyes of Zedekiah, and the king of Babylon bound him in chains, carried him to Babylon, and put him in prison till the day of his death. Now in the fifth month, in the tenth day of the month, which was the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came Nebuchadnezzar, captain of the guard, which served the king of Babylon at Jerusalem, and burned the house of the Eternal and the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem, and all the houses of the great men burned he with fire. That is today kept as the fast of the fifth month, because the city fell on the 17th day of the fourth month, but they came in and burned the church, the temple, the king's house, and the great houses in the fifth month. That's when the temple fell. So there's a difference between the time that Jerusalem fell and the temple itself fell. That's known as the ninth of Av, or the fifth month. And that's happened twice in history on that date. I wonder if it will happen again. And all the army of the Chaldeans, that was the captain of the guard, broke down all the walls of Jerusalem round about. So all the defenses were broken down. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive certain of the poor of the people and the residue of the people that remained in the city, and those that fell away that fell to the king of Babylon and the rest of the multitude. Uh, but the captain of the guard left certain of the poor of the land for vine dressers and for husbandmen. So they took some to Babylon. They left others there to take care of uh, agriculture uh, so that they might then tax them and take what they grew. 
Also the pillars of brass that were in the house of the eternal, and the bases and the brazen sea that was in the house of the eternal, the Chaldeans broke and carried all the brass of them to Babylon. We've had Gentiles come into the church in the last 20 years and take most everything that was precious away. And it goes on and takes, describes all the things that were taken away. I don't know that I need to go through all that. Uh, let's go on down to verse 24. The precious things, in other words. You can read that if you are interested, but various things they took away. I'm sure it's important. I don't know what importance to attach to that, except that a great mass of the important things went away. And the great mass of the doctrine of truth went away in the church as well. Verse 24, And the captain of the guard took Sariah, the chief priest, and Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three keepers of the door. He took also out of the city a eunuch, which had the charge of the men of war. That reminds me of Isaiah 56. Remember a sermon I gave some time time ago showing that we are the eunuchs that keep the Sabbath. We have made ourselves eunuchs from this world. We do not consort with it. We are not a part of it anymore. Uh, We are units of our own choosing from consorting with the world. The church, truly, the faithful of the church, have made themselves eunuchs. Interesting that he took those, the leaders of the temple and the leaders of the military, and seven men of them that were near the king's person, which were found in the city, and the principal scribes of the host, who mustered the people of the land, and threescore men of the people of the land that were found in the midst of the city. So Nebuzaradan and the captain of the guard took them and brought them to the king of Babylon. And the king of Babylon smote them and put them to death in Ribla in the land of Hamath. Thus Judah was carried away captive out of his own land. This is the people whom Nebuchadnezzar carried away captive in the seventh year, three thousand Jews and three and twenty. Eighteenth year, they took another eight hundred and thirty-two and in the three and twentieth year, they took 745, and all the persons were 4,600. Let's see, and it came to pass in the seventh and thirtieth year of the captivity of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the twelfth month, in the five and twentieth day of the month, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the first year of his reign, lifted up the head of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and brought him forth out of prison. And then it says that he fed him until the days of his death. We keep the fasts that are listed here, just as the Jews do, because we are spiritual Jews. And because the walls of Jerusalem, the church, have been breached and destroyed, and then on the fast of the fifth month, when the temple itself was destroyed, it is symbolic in the end time of the destruction of the temple, the church of God. So there is great meaning for spiritual Jews of today, not just physical Jews who remember what happened thousands of years ago. This is an end-time book. It has to do with us. So when Wednesday comes, I am going to fast because of the destruction of the walls of the church. And I'll fast again in the fifth month because of the destruction of the temple, the destruction of the church. And I will pray that God will begin to rebuild that temple and that his people will gather a tithe of them from around the world and that his temple in the end time, the latter temple, 
will be far greater in glory than that which came before it in the work of Herbert Armstrong, which was an important work, but which in the end time scenario will be minor compared to the work that is yet to be done. Herbert Armstrong called many. Now a few are going to be chosen. They're going to rebuild the temple, and the glory of it will be greater than the glory of the former temple, and it will do a greater work. It will preach a final witness and warning against the world, and the mountains and hills and governments of this world will melt before it. Because a small people, by the power of God, can do more than the people of Satan with a great number of people. That is what God will show. It's coming soon. So beware, be aware, and get as far from it as you can. If you knew the epicenter of an earthquake, if you knew where a bomb was going to fall, would you not begin to try to get away? If you knew a major hurricane hurricane was coming into Houston or New Orleans, would you not jump in your car and try to get away from the eye of the storm? The eye of the storm that is about to come is coming on America. Would you not want to get away from those places that will be attacked? Would you not want to get away and not even look like an American? And the way that you act, the way that you dress, the way that you think, the way that you eat, the way that you worship, would you want to be separated from that culture to the point no one would want to equate you with it? God says it'll come that way in the book of Zechariah, where it says, I'm just a farmer. I'm not a preacher. Everybody wants to preach today. But God says when this happens, everybody can say, hey, I'm a farmer. Don't even include me as a preacher. That's the way it's going to come. Maybe we better be farmers. Maybe we better get away from what is about to happen. People wonder why we're doing what we're doing. I think it ought to be abundantly clear from reading and understanding the book of Jeremiah, among others.